I am willing if you are able. Okay. Let's Hit start. It. Let's do this intro. Uh, hello. Welcome to Luke's Talk Wine. My name yes. is Luke Morrison. I work with a big wine company. And my name's Luke Campbell, and I work for a small wine company. And today we're going to talk about uh, what's the topic? Oh, I was going to be Spain, but we'll board it. We'll kick it out a little bit more to just the old world and thrash out that in a sort of what is it sort of vibe. Um, but I want to talk about Spain because I like Spain. Uh, I've also got a question from the audience. But the first Why thing not? we're going to talk about is what's been happening in your wine world this week. Luke Campbell, pal. Well, thank you very, very, very much, Luke Morris. Um, what's going on this week is I have just been floored by the amount of requests I am getting for non-alcoholic wines and beers. Oh my Luke. god! I have just these 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 things are kind of um, well, they're not groundbreaking, but they are really infiltrating our society where people are thinking they're thinking better of themselves. They're thinking more about how they consume and what they consume, but well, the, the the major question is, is our drinking culture broken or is it better for, is it better off? Broken. Okay. So um, that's the, if, question. When you, the way you phrased that is saying they were infiltrating, did make them fit, sound like Russian spies getting into the, uh, the kitchen pantry of Australians through low and non-alcoholic <laughs> beverages. Which doesn't sound like a Russian spy at all. It, it sounds more like an Amish spy. I don't know what the Amish would be investigating <laughs> us for. Maybe just to learn what they don't want to do. But what are you? What's the concern? What's the drinking culture that you're worried about that we're losing? Well, Australia has this hard drinking reputation. You know, forged. You know, forged as you know, a British penal colony and, you know, where rum was traded and it was the de facto currency and, you know, for a hard-earned thirst and all that, Luke, you know, but yes. are we becoming more sensible as a nation <laughs> and drinking fresh and eating less sugar and drinking low alcohol? Is, is this is this where we're headed? I think it is where we're headed. It is. It definitely is where we're headed um, because mate, there's been an I, explosion I, I, I of wish non-alcoholic I... beverages. I wish I could agree with you, but I do not think that we're becoming a more sensible people or culture in any way. Um, I think what you'll find is uh, just a ageing demographic of people who have been used to drinking a lot of alcohol. This is a big thing I find. Now, there will always be blowback when I, when I talk about this topic, mm. but... People often ask for low or no sulfur wine, no, and they want natural biodynamic wines because they believe it's no. better for them and they'll get less hangovers. And unfortunately, that's not it. That's not how it works. Alcohol presence is what causes hangovers, the process of breaking down alcohol through the body. Um, there are other uh, factors uh, um, and latent chemicals, but by and large, it's alcohol. It's the comorbidity of things. There's sleep deprivation. There's other things, but those are the things that cause a hangover. Now, people going around saying um, uh, sulfur or things like these will cure their um, problems. Not going to happen. But what does work is less alcohol. So maybe smart people are 
thinking, hey, I'm getting older. My body can't metabolize alcohol as much as it used to. I'm getting more hangovers. If I drink less alcohol, I'll feel better in the morning, but I can still have a nice tasting glass of wine-ish drink. And that's, you know, you, you, I walked through the supermarket the other day and was surprised to see just sitting on the shelf boxes of beer until I stepped a few inches closer and saw that they were all zero alcohol. But that's, it, it yes. also makes it very weird to see that that's a normalised thing that we have in our supermarkets for kids to come across. But anyway, that's beside the point. Yes, I, I, I agree. That's, pro- that's probably another, uh, another issue for a separate topic. But um, I think the way you frame that is correct. It's a really positive lifestyle choice. And I, I think, you know, that, that, that's got to be an so upside to that. So why are you against it, yeah, Campbell? Why don't that? you like positive lifestyle oh, choices? No, no, no. Not against it at all. You said what's been happening in my wine world. And I've been confronted by this uh, like never before this week because I, I kept several orders as you know in my day job we we, you know we work with corporates we work with uh big events companies and i've had two orders come in this um just just this week actually and both of them one was requesting requesting non-alcoholic um package cocktails so like mocktails pre-packaged and the other one was requesting non-alcoholic beer which there are several choices of in the market mind you luke morris yes and I, i just thought is this 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 trend? It's no longer a trend. It's actually here to stay. It's oh, yeah. a positive lifestyle choice yeah. that has not so much infiltrated our industry, but exploded. And there's you know there's people there's craft breweries, there's um, non-alcoholic gin distilleries, there is um, you know Sipsmith spirit ripoffs and things like this that are all part of this zero alcohol movement, and it is. Australia's biggest burgeoning category. It's uh, the Australian mindset is shifting, Luke Morris. Yeah, and um, yeah, and I've got very little crimes. If I do find it difficult in my day job because I work for a big company and I've, I have to service things that are mostly in bulk, and um, it is hard to get hold of things in bulk. So I was going to ask you a question of where do you find because this is still a growing niche you know, not, not hugely supplied sector of the market, where do you come across low-alcohol products? Oh, yes, absolutely. It's, it's direct to supply. The non-alcoholic options that are available are generally direct to supply, whether we're talking about non-alcoholic rosé, beers, bubbles, bourbons or gins, they're generally direct from distillery. Um, are they yeah, there are like many, many... Gee, well, the the etch sparklings, which is one I had the most um, experience with, uh, ex Lion director, uh, moved down to the Moines Peninsula, got you know just got, um, geez, and Jason, I'm sure Jason won't mind me saying this, ha- had an indifferent re- relationship with alcohol and just decided I can make this world a better place by providing that same bubbly refreshment aperitivo style drink just without the alcohol, and he invented the brand Etch Sparkling. Um, dot com dot au etch and they're delicious they use indigenous australian ingredients fermented um naturally spark naturally carbonated with sugar and, and yep. it acts as a it's pitched at a champagne lovers market effectively it's got a fine bead in it um it is um really really delicious the other ones are the liars l y r e after the liar bird 
very clever play oh, on yes. words is that the gin and whiskey kind of you know opposites they're they're very good as well in the market um mornington brewery down there um they make a an ipa that's zero alcohol heaps normal brewing co make great beers there, there are several on the market but they're generally direct to consumer my question with those, though, that, that my first Delicious. The first thing that went, went through my mind yep. was thinking about um, your mate and mine, George Mahaley at uh, Paradigm Hill. He's a great yes. winemaker. He once told me, and it was at a wine dinner, so it's not a, a personal thing. That he said to the to the crowd that he doesn't particularly like the sensation of the alcohol, the, the feeling drunk, doesn't enjoy it, but loves the whole mm. taste of wine itself. And that's you know his his appreciation and his engagement in in the industry. It made me question though what you, what you, the way you were talking about the secondary fermentation using the sugar to, to for um, the the bead. Um, how are they separating alcohol from the juice? Is it all going through a centrifuge? Is it is, is there a, a low alcohol ferment? That's now become possible. What do you, do you know? What they're doing in the in the chem lab to make it happen? Well, it, it, it's all different. I mean, the guys at Etch—they're basically making a carbonated. Um, they're making a carbonated drink, like a soft drink, uh, and they're just pitching it at a market. The guys in the distilleries, uh, yeah, they're, they're going through. They're still going through the distillation process, but without the sugar. Um, and in a beer, I'm not sure about a beer. Um, yeah, maybe for those brewers out there listening, um, they could send us an email at lukestalkwine at gmail.com um, yeah. and let us know. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm not quite sure. Yeah. Well, that's fine. Not knowing but, the answer is yeah. the pathway to enlightenment, Campbell. It's, it's, oh, it's, look at you go. It's honesty. It's good. Hi, this is Luke Morris from Luke's Talk Wine. I've written some books, so visit lukemorrisha.com.au. Go there, see the books, buy one, support the podcast. That's lukemorrisha.com.au, L-U-K-E-M-O-R-R-I-S-H-A.com.au. Have a great day. I'm going to tell you something yes. that's honest yeah. on, on the next topic. Right. It is yes, light on me. Regarding the old world. And it, it came up because I'm, I'm doing some uh, promotion and, and doing some research on some old world wines. And the old world, for anyone who would like to know, is effectively wines that come out of France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Germany, um, Austria, or, or Europe, really. I got an option of whether I wanted to promote some things to do with Spain or promote some things to do with Italy. And I said Spain. Because well, so I would have gone Italy. Well, this is the, this is what, this Spain. was going to be my argument with you because I was going to <laughs> ask you, you know, what do you think of the old world? What do you like? And I knew you might say something positive about Italy, and I can't find much to say positive about Italy. I find their <laughs> wines mostly boring. No, actually, not boring. V- tannic, acidic. I understand it's all very food-friendly wine. But even then, I just find it's just too, too much in the mouth, and not not in that big brosser jammy sort of too much in the mouth, which I also don't like. But just too much of those elbows, too many elbows. 
So let let me let me just go back a step there. So you, you're not into Italian wines, blanket statement, because of the the, the tannins. However, you'll the tannins and acid, moreover, but you will enjoy the Tempranillo from Spain's Rioja. I will. Hmm, interesting. Well, well when I, I, I when I ask Spain <laughs> though, I, I just if if you're going to classify a country, I love the Carvers, terrific production. Much prefer Carver over a Prosecco. Much prefer a, uh, a a great Grand Reserva Rioja or Pirat uh, compared to uh, a Chianti. Trying to think of some sort of match between the two. What what would what would Italy's version of a sherry be? Grappa. Go home if you're grappa. No. You know. <laughs> no, I don't think, you know, Spain, I guess, you know, when I think of Spain, you've got a, you've got a lot of great points in Spain. Spain, you Thank know, Carver is probably, Carver is, yes, the most far, famous sparkling region in Spain. And, you know, Spanish whites, you know, fresh and salty. You mentioned sherry, you know, like, you know, you can't forget Chocoli or Albariño, Rios, Baxas, Lorero. There's a lot of things. Yes. Go away, Suave. There's a lot of things going on there. But when then if you want something just with texture and tension, you know, you've got things like Suave. I'm glad you mentioned it. You've got things. You've got some of those more textured, really delicious white wines of the South that are just built for these Mediterranean, you know, Conditions. What Gadello? What what is Gadello? Like I just forget it. You know, like Fidello from come in, on in Spain. You you what do you what do you don't like Fidello for? Gadello, Fidello, I love oh, Godello. Different story. Like was, was, wasting my time from the Valdiores. Okay, next. Well, yeah, I wasn't pointing to the small <laughs> region. What I'm just saying that I'm just I just can't get into Italy. Like I'm. I'm Oi. What? I think you got to drink more. <laughs> Hang on, we just started the podcast talking about <laughs> low alcohol <laughs> drinks, and you're like, "Yeah, that's a problem for Australia. You got to drink more." <laughs> no, I don't, I don't mean drink drink more in quantity. I just mean drink more as in diversely, Luke. Absolutely. Uh, but you uh, mm. see, the thing with Spain, though, I mean, things like Pirat as as a region that I. I only really came across in the last 10 years. And if every time I talk to someone about Pirat as a region, you know, Pirat seems to be the fancy man's Rioja or woman. Or well, I think you probably Rioja. blame Pirat or Pirato uh, to the listeners because I guarantee you not a lot of the listeners will have heard of Pirat. So tell us about Pirat because it's ancient history to a lot of people, but a lot of listeners won't have heard of Pirat. Well, it's, it's pretty new ground for me is I'm accepting that it's ancient history to um, more people. The Spaniards. In. Sorry? The Spaniards, ancient history to the Spaniards. Like it's, um, yeah. You I, know, it's been around for them for a long time. Yeah, it'd be ancient history to anyone my senior, I'd, I'd imagine. I think there's, there's plenty of people mm, who, who know yeah. heaps about um, Spanish wine. But, um, what do I understand about it? It's, it is a region that I only really came across in the last 10 years. It's a region that has yep. great devotees of it because the wines that are coming out of there, I, I guess it's almost like referring to something being um, 
uh, I want to say Grand Cru Burgundy is the first thing that comes to mind. Just in terms of oh. scaling things, it, not not in terms of uh, like for like, but in terms of scaling things, you might have your Grand Cru is is your your top wines, top top vineyards, slaty soils. It's is really um, demonstrative growing conditions, but at the same time produces fruit. Yeah, it's of, like it's rugged terrain. Yeah, f- produces fruit that you know has to work to survive equally, and therefore has put itself through the ringer, and has a, has a intenseness to it as a result. And yep, that's the kind of thing that you don't get over in Rioja. You have a different, more palatable, simpler, maybe. Bourgogne level wine. Well, not that. That's cool, but you you have different st- stages down there. But if you're talking about that incredible heights, that's what Pirat is is trying to supply, and they've got. Yep. It seems to be producing things constantly of a scale, whereas we could say Rioja is producing things, some fantastic stuff. Rubio de Duro is producing fantastic stuff. But then, it's always good in Pirat. But well, both both of those regions are, you know, very historic. In you know, not unlike Pirat, but both of those wines are reliable, reliant, reliable, and reliant on their river systems. Pirat's obviously much higher, as you said. It's dominated by um, what's the red grape variety, Grenache, there and Carignan. But its history is 90 year old and it's in those steep terraces that you refer to where they even they even grow the new world varieties to blend in there. And these wines, not unlike the wines of Italy in Chianti Classico, the heart of Chianti, or even Barolo to a certain extent, where they have minimum aging and they have crop load um, yield laws to... You're actually making it sound permit, a little bit or like not a super Tuscan if they're adding new grape varietals in there. Yeah, it's probably pretty close to a super Tuscan in the way that these Priorat blends include some of those French imports. But you know, it's people described it as people describe it as Giacondas, uh, like or Southern Rhone like. People describe it as super Tuscan like. It's very, they're very, very earthy wines. You know, think plum, you know, schist, rubbery, red fruit, chunky, these kind of herbal notes. Yep. Um, but you're right, it, it, it's it's back and it's kind of, it's delivering some great value. But in compared to Italy, probably are some of the, they have the widest range of grape varieties. They represent some incredibly great value now. I think Italy has over 9,000 different indigenous grape varieties. You know, we might see 15 of them here in Australia. There, there are innumerable blends and regions in Italy. And not unlike Spain, they're all labelled because they're all in the European Union. They all have a similar system to France's AOC system as far as they're not labelled by variety. They're labelled by regions and the regions are synonymous with the varieties on them. But... Uh, to the question is what is it? What is Spain? Your question. I mean, it's delivering. It's over delivering weight for age, and along with Priorat, I think Spain's having a real renaissance. Lucky Morris, but you know, is it better than Italy? No. Babal survey says. No. Oh, I don't know. I, 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 I'm <laughs> arguing against that. I, 
I love Tempanillo. Yeah, obviously, I've 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 grown it. I've I've crushed it. I've I've, I've uh, yep. seen it through vinification, and I just have a romance to it. And I just have a romance to the to the new world, you know, um, uh, approaches within Spain, heavily in- influenced by Bordeaux, because when uh, Phylloxera went through uh, France, I think that was the catalyst for the um, winemakers of France, particularly of Bordeaux. Was it Bordeaux? Believe? Yeah, it was. Dropped down into well, this, uh, in, Rioja in, and, in, and just influenced the winemaking and the styles and the practices, and they've just... And then France, then the French Which winemakers is, went away and they said, we can actually keep doing this and we can do this better and cheaper. And they have. Yes, I, I don't disagree there. Just on a, on a side note, Phylloxera went through Pereira at the same time. It didn't, it didn't make it to uh, the sandy soils of that of Ribera del Duero and Rioja, ah. but it went through Pereira at the same time. Just as a side note. And and I should probably explain phylloxera for those who don't know. It's a tiny little bug uh, that we really want to keep out of Australia. There are some tiny patches of it, but that's why uh, vineyards tend to be very cautious of you walking through their vineyards because they don't want this tiny little bug jumping around and eating uh, specifically is it the rootstock? It's the rootstock that phylloxera likes to eat. And killing off the mm. vineyards mm. and stopping, preventing the vine, the vitis vinifera, from bearing any fruit. Yeah. And, you know, that's, yeah. that's bad. That, no good, Chopper. Uh, I mean, if, if, if you're worried about uh, low alcohol wine, just worry about no wine at all. That's what Bloxford <laughs> does. Yes. True. Uh, another Very thing true. that worries everybody is expensive. Wine, when 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 your favourite drink starts going up and up and up in price, and this is a question from the uh, audience. Uh, specifically, it was a customer of mine, so I don't. I'm not going to repeat their names. Just for questions from the audience. How, how can how can people can people ask questions? How can people ask questions of us, Luke? Of course, they can. You, yeah, it's the email that you perfectly read out earlier. Go on. What was the email address? Luke's talk wine at gmail.com. Bang. Um, I haven't really told too many people, but we have had an increase in listenership. I can tell you that much. It's um, a few people are finding out about this. Um, so that's Splendid. good. Natural sort of growth. Uh, but we'll, we'll actually advertise it at some point. Um, customer, whose name I can't remember, they asked, I was offering, oh, I don't really want to name the producer. They're quite a big, big producer, and I don't particularly endorse them as a company. Um, their wines have shifted in price, and I didn't realise how much they had shifted because I've been slightly out of the industry for a few years. But they've shifted from some bottles that I remember 10 years ago selling, 10, 15 years ago, maybe 15, selling for about... $50 a bottle and now easily in the hundreds. Uh, some of the other wines that we used to sell for about 100 are in 200 plus category. The wines that used to be around the $30, $40 mark and now nudging the 80s, getting up there. Everything is doubling in price. And as the customer said to me, they're not doubling in quality. <laughs> Why do wines push like this, Luke Campbell? Why 
uh, what is that play? Why is why is there such a shift in price points? Because I know some fantastic bottles that haven't moved price in 10, 20 years. Actually, no, yeah, easily 20 years, haven't moved price, still a small producer, still the uh, husband and wife team, taxes have gone up, cost of production have gone up, but they have and, and but the quality of wine arguably has improved with the quality of vineyard uh, uh, and age of mm. wine, but they can't shift their price whereas the behemoth companies do. What's that play? Yeah, well, I guess there's a lot of things at play there. And as previously mentioned on this podcast, Luke, if your wine is, you know, or, or has a certain authenticity, if it's if it's rare, this has a big play to use your terminology on on the price. You know, expensive wines they're grown in vineyards that have a reputation for producing high quality grapes, right? So, yeah. They're, they're, what, what, what makes a, a wine? For those ones we talked about, for those First, ones we talked about, mate, we, and I, look, I'm not arguing with you, but we, when we talked about those, we're like, you're not going to get that at another price, and it's always been expensive, and it's sort of moving with the in inflation. But there's wines that don't move with inflation. They're just. I think it's all. It all comes down to their perceived rarity it might come down to big company operational tactics whether they've been bought or sold and the new company seems seemingly believes that there's more value in this particular wine so it can be pushed to a higher price range uh it's its history it's its marketing like oh, i read a marketing note you know and we've we've discussed tasting notes on this um We've discussed tasting notes on the podcast before, Luke, and I'm sure we'll do it again. But I read a tasting note for a Penfolds Grange earlier in the year, and it said, deep, rich, seductive, and a tongue-stroking red. I mean, what, tongue -stroking? what is that? Tongue-stroking oh, red. That sounds British... terrible. It's <laughs> so horrible, is isn't someone it? someone grabbing like... hold of your tongue, or are you grabbing hold of your <laughs> own tongue and trying to pull it out of your mouth? So th these Drink wines, this. it'll make you want to strangle yourself. Yeah. So, um, you know, so I think it's got something to do with, with its perceived rarity, its marketability. These are the factors that are at play in answer to your question. You know, some of those wines are incredibly rare. Yes, some of them were great. If you're referring to the big red company. You know, some of those wines are exceptionally well. The the story, the history alone, is pretty amazing. You know, with Max Schubert being criticised and his original wines were criticised as being undrinkable, like in the in the fifties. And so he, he hid them. He hid the wine, but he wasn't discouraged, Luke. He just, you know, the story as well as I do. Schubert continued to make the wine in in, in secret. You know, like in those. They're called the Hidden Grangers, those, what is it, 56, 56, 58, 59? Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, uh, let's go anyway, there's still, yeah. still some of the rarest bottles um, going around. And I think because they're rare, they're suitably priced, you know, at, at 50, yeah, 60, 75, stuff. and 100,000 wines. vintage stuff, Campbell. It's when 
It's when let's let's talk about the the big red company. It's when uh, four oh seven decides to shift itself from a thirty dollar line to the next year becomes a thirty five dollar line, and then every year adds five dollars up until it's selling at around eighty dollars a mark. Like five dollars a year isn't reflecting of improved vintage, isn't really reflecting no. of improved vineyards. Five dollars a year is a lot, particularly when some producers aren't shifting their their price points at all. And the way you were talking about it before opened a little door to my brain where I realised a lot of it is big red company with big uh, cost-cutting company claiming big margins. So yep. you, you'll be selling it to, let's poke the bear, Dan Murphy's, but big <laughs> big red company will sell to Penfolds will sell to Dan Murphy's at an incredibly discounted price to what they'll sell to anyone else. And yep. that's why everybody else has to be if they get the wine, have to have it at a high margin, whereas Dan Murphy's get to have it at a low margin. Well or seemingly low margin, where they're actually they're still making a killing on the wine. And it just yep. improves their Dan Murphy's marketability of that label, but it doesn't help anybody else. And is the wine nope. still worth that money? No, you're drinking the nope. label. That's you're drinking the label, and you're endorsing uh, shoddy, lying price point marketing. Mark, and that there is, it's been a long and drawn out conversation, Luke. But there is. The answer to your question, what makes these wines more expensive? Marketing. The more I thought about this topic as we were talking over the last 10 minutes on it, the more I got round up. (laughs) (laughs) I can tell. I I need a drink. (laughs) And that's all right. Wine Wine should get you wound up. Wine will get you wound up. It's not the wine. It's the bloody. And it's not even the marketers. I don't really hate marketing people. It's the... it's the number of people who work in marketing that I don't like, I think. <laughs> anyway, what are you well, drinking this week? Well, it could be mate? the marketing. That's a very good question. I am drinking, um, in light of, you know, in light of, what am I in light of? I've just been enlightened, I think. Um, Italian wines short being and gross, sweet. Spanish wines being yum. Big red companies being jerks. <laughs> which is in, which of those topics have enlightened you? I have no. I was enlightened, and I went. I went searching out uh, some Shiraz actually, and I just reached for an old favourite of mine, actually, and and yours too. We don't have to go too far for the Wild Duck Creek, oh, yeah. Yellow Hammer Hill Shiraz, Shiraz Malbec. There, it's um, yes, it's a Heath could drop, and it is utterly delicious. It's just one of those wow wines. You put on a table, you pull the cork, and Someone will put it in the glass and just say, wow. And it's uh, it over-delivers, wait for age, bang for buck. It's a delicious wine. Do I you, love it every time. Do you know, uh, when I, t- I told someone about this podcast and they said, Luke and Luke talking about what, are you going to only invite other people named Luke on the podcast? And I said, <laughs> yes. And we talked about Luke McGregor as a possible, but Luke Anderson, <laughs> there's a man. If, yes, if, if there's we a man, a guest, absolutely. We have to get Luke Anderson. Luke Lambert, there's another one. 
can't think of too many other Lukes off the top of my head who might be um, good to invite, but they the, the must exist. We'll find them. They would exist, absolutely. Yep. Um, this, <laughs> I want to say Luc Besson, but that's a director and he's French and he doesn't have a lot to do with wine. Um, that probably rules him out. What were you drinking? Oh, the, the, the so I was, drinking, Hill. I was drinking the yeah. Wild Duck Creek Yellowhammer Hill, did yeah, you, did you 2019. Have, did you Delicious. have a virtual tasting with those that recently or was that coming up? It is coming up actually, yes. Glad you mentioned it, Luke. We've got a Wild Duck Creek estate virtual tasting happening this Friday, in fact. Completely oh. sold out, but um, <laughs> hit us up if you want to get involved in the next one. It is uh, our virtual tastings, uh, yeah, they've been... They've really been a bit of a lifeline for the business, Luke. And as we continue to do them, whether we do our, you know, eight bottle masterclass over four weeks, uh, beg your pardon, eight bottle advanced wine course or a, you know, four wine masterclass, depends, you know. But uh, this week we're doing a, a winery virtual where we get the winemaker on and just get them to talk about their exploits. And uh, so, yeah, I'm just doing a bit of, Preloading, if you will, tasting the Yellowhammer Hill, the 2019. And, um, yeah, you know, bold, silky, supple. It's got that kind of gritty Heathcote Shiraz palette that I really like. And, and you know so well, Luke. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, I'm, I want two feet into that bottle. I think I'm, I'm well keen for something like that. I'm due. Um, mm. I, might, I, think, I think we'll wrap it up because you're just making me thirsty. And they're not pretzels. They're just Yellowhammer Hill is making me thirsty. Uh, <laughs> thanks for your time, Luke Campbell. Thanks, Nick Brown, for the intro music. I should point out, last week I talked about Nick Brown supplying music. The music that comes underneath my ad in this um, in this show is definitely not by Nick Brown. <laughs> I'll just point that out. Um, it's, he's, he's far more accomplished. But thanks. Uh, thanks, Campbell. Catch you, catch you next week. Thanks, Luke Morris. Bye for now. Vinified are the wine cellar's specialists. We're Australia's only personal sommelier service. Our sommeliers work with you to build your cellar. Our aim is to bring you the wines from the freshest new producers, all based on your tastes. We can come to you, source your wines, present tastings. Think of Vinified as your wine concierge. We can do retail, we can do tastings, we can host your dinner parties or we can procure you that rare wine. Vinified is proud to be associated with Luke's Talk Wine. www.vinified.com.au